Welcome to Stage Mom Podcast, a podcast for breakthrough bands and artists. Today we have Dominic Delaney. Dominic Delaney is a folk punk artist out of South Florida. Let me tell you, I have the utmost respect for this guy as a person and an artist. He is so far beyond his 28 years, it's unbelievable. His voice is a one of a kind and you just know who's singing when you hear it. Go check him out on all of his social media networks so you don't miss anything he has to offer. Oh, no, no, well, I've done it again. So fucked up that I can hardly stand. I drank too much, it's time to call up a friend. Maybe they could drive me home. Okay, so we are here today with Dominic Delaney. Yeah. Delaney. De- okay. So welcome. Thank you for coming. We tried this a couple of times, and we kept having to cancel, whether it was me or you, forgetting your wife's date. But uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't want to get you in trouble. So anyhow, so <laughs> go ahead and introduce yourself and let everybody know where you're out of, your name, where they can find you, and we'll start there. Yeah, so my name's Dominic Delaney. Uh, I'm from Lake Worth, Florida. I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, I guess you could call it folk punk. Um, I, I kind of stray away from that term because I don't have like somebody playing a, a bathtub bass or anything like that. But um, they are punk songs that start out on acoustic guitar, and uh, I've been playing under my own name since about 2018. That's interesting. Punk songs on an acoustic guitar. I've never heard anybody say that before. Yeah, I kind of prefer the term campfire punk rock as opposed okay. to folk punk. Okay. Um, I, and that's I, I don't have anything against folk punk. There's some really great folk punk bands that I like. Um, but they typically have somebody with, like, a washboard and, like, a bathtub bass and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I don't have that. I have uh, Rocky Rucker is my bass player. And then uh, I have Ricky Bolivay on drums. So um, we are a band. Uh, so I, I tr- try to stay away from the folk punk. Right. So, um, is there any known, well-known folk punk bands that you would compare yourself to? Yeah, um, I think I arguably talk about a man named Frank Turner too much. Um, uh, he's by far my favorite songwriter, and his music was kind of, um, a reawakening of my interest in being able to do this. Um, at the time when I started listening to Frank... I had kind of stopped playing music. Um, I was DJing every now and again at some places just to make some money and stay involved in the music scene. Um, But I'd kind of given up the whole band um, playing guitar thing, and I didn't even really touch my guitar for a while. Um, But then I started listening to Frank, and uh, that's what it was. It was was punk songs on an acoustic guitar um, with the attitude of if if I don't have the capabilities to make this, this big thing, or, or be a giant traveling band at this moment, I'll just go do it myself. Right. Um, and that was that was a very revolutionary line of thought for me. Um, he has another great quote where he said, um, if you want a tour, go book one. And like that like blew my mind. I was like, you yeah. can do that? Um, <laughs> and, and since then I have, and I've done it you know, quite a bit. So that kind of DIY uh, punk ethos translating mm-hmm. into a songwriter – uh, format is something that that's been really really cool so yeah frank's definitely uh probably the biggest inspiration with that but with that there's also just other bands 
Um, like the Gaslight Anthem, those guys were cool. Uh, the Menzingers from Philadelphia. Um, a lot of bands that just kind of have that DIY attitude. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I try and align myself with. Okay. So, um, all right. You, you've been playing under Dominic Delaney since 2018. Did you Correct. do anything prior or how did you become this? Yeah. Um, I, I had been playing in bands and involved in music since, you know, middle school and high school. Um, I was in a million bands that had, a million different names, but played maybe one show. Uh, right. Kind of the typical teenage stuff where band practice was more let's hang out and eat pizza and, and that type of stuff. Uh, very n- not organized. And then right. um, as I got older and into high school, we started to, to be more organized and play shows. And I had an actual band for a while. Um, but then high school ended and and everybody went off to college, and I decided not to. Um, mm-hmm. I decided to keep trying to do music. Um, but now I didn't have a band. And that kind of steered me in the direction of DJing. Um, okay. I had, had a roommate at the time who, who taught me how to DJ, actually, like, on vinyls. Like, not wow. um, not, not like computer DJing. And right. that was like, it's, it's a really cool skill to have, and it's an art form that I still respect, though I don't necessarily listen to that much electronic music anymore. Um, but yeah, I DJed for a couple years from about 18 to maybe like 21. And, um, I had some fun. That type of music scene is a little different than what I was used to and what I'm, what I occupy now. Right. Um, you know, for my early twenties, it was very fun. Um, but, but I could, you know, as somebody who's 28 now, uh, looking back, I could see how that, I don't think I want to do that again. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and eventually, you know, it's a very easy thing to get burned out in. And I did. And that's kind of, it just kind of happened to coincide that I burned out. Uh, I started listening to Frank Turner and started reading other books, uh, you know, like Get in the Van by Henry Rollins. Um, oh, I love Henry Rollins. Yeah. And just kind of starting to, to go back to kind of home base and it felt mm-hmm. like i had i had had this time um you know experimenting and finding new things you know and skills that i still use today like producing and stuff like that um but it felt like it was time to go back to the roots i guess mm-hmm. and um i played in a couple other industrial bands there was a band around here called scoros i played with them for a while um and then that's when it was just like well i'm right i have this collection of songs and I don't have a band, so I'm just going to do this as Dominic Delaney. And um, since then, it's been pretty good. I've played 343 shows wow. since then. Uh, that's another ode to, to Mr. Frank Turner. He counts every show that he plays. I was I just going to ask. I, I think that's neat that you do. Yeah, I liked that idea a lot. Uh, the first 100 shows, I uh, we we had a Polaroid picture for every show and i still have those um that's cool and then yeah it's evolved a little bit to now like there's like the the every show gets its instagram post you know with Mm -hmm. the show number and stuff like that and if you go to my website there is a list of of every show um and yeah i I, it's a cool way to kind of see where i've been because of music you know especially when uh, I'm listing listing dates and and, and states are changing. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, music took me to this place, um, and so that's been really cool. And then yeah, we just played a show uh, for St. Patrick's Day, and that was show number three hundred and forty three. That's awesome that you do that. I love that. 
I'm going to make my yeah. kid do that. That's a really <laughs> good idea. Okay, so you talked about um, producing. Do you mm. produce your own stuff? Like, Tell me about your recording process. So um, after I stepped away from DJing for a while, I kind of was very hands-off when it came to production work. Um, okay. The first EP that I did was just an acoustic EP, and um, that was done by a, a man named Rick Pattinson who is here in Lake Worth, and he just kind of has a studio at his house. Um, excuse me. And he let me come over and I think we, it, the whole thing maybe took an hour and they were just very basic, uh, vocals, acoustic guitar. And, um, that was kind of just to have something out there to kind of show people like, Hey, I have original songs. Let me come play right. on your shows. And, um, started opening shows that way. And then, um, when COVID happened, um, I really wasn't focused on recording too much i was kind of more focused on doing shows and doing tours and i was doing them solo and it was working um and i always wanted the band but that just seemed kind of so far off um in the distance and then COVID happened and um there was i had this one connection from a charity show that i had done down here and he was getting involved with some label they were trying to start up and it was it was this whole thing and pretty much they asked if they if they could make that an album out of my songs and i was thrilled to do that they kind of hired studio musicians to play um and then that's when the first album came out and i have a lot of mixed feelings on that entire situation it was working with a label that uh wasn't the best as far as their morals go and things like uh, that. So it was, it was a, definitely a big learning experience, but the one thing that I can be grateful for is that when they put that album out, it forced me to put together the band and right. do the work because the shows had to happen. And, um, you know, we, we had a first iteration of what is now my band, Dominic Delaney and the dead language. Um, and right now we have kind of, a trio version of it that, that we took up to New York and that we've been you know, oh. taking around a bit. Um, but yeah, that whole situation was a little odd, but it got the music out and it kind of right. lit a fire under me. Um, a lot of those songs, we don't play the same way anymore. And pretty much that album came out. We did a couple shows. Um, I continued to do a lot of solo shows. And then um, at the end of... 2021 um at the beginning of 2022 i went and got sober um and decided that you know i was going to come back and i had already made my up my mind up that um now that i'm sober that just means i have to go harder into this right and um that's when i came home and during about like a two-week three-week period i wrote my uh, latest album for life, and that one was produced by Ricky uh, Bullofay, who plays drums for me. Uh, he's also the front man for The Shake. I was um, going to say, yeah, his name, yeah. Yeah, lead singer, guitar player, yeah. front, front man's a weird word. But, yeah, um, we're great friends, and, you know, Ricky's another, Ricky's a sober guy, and he was kind of a, a, def, a, a role model in my early sobriety. Like, I'm happy to say that I'm about, I'm that's over awesome. a year sober now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, you know, he was a great person to lean on. And then me and the shake, we did a lot of touring together last year as well, where I would open the shows, um, acoustic and then they would go on 
And it was a great – I started tour managing for them as well. So it's a great working relationship that we have. Nice. Um, this year is kind of the first year since we've all met that we're going to be touring in different parties. Um, and it's it's a little weird. Like in May, they're going to be in Texas while I'm in California. And, like, we're trying to plan, like, a, a Zoom date so we could all still meet <laughs> up and stuff. Um, but, yeah, so Ricky's been a huge hand. Uh, Rocky Rucker also co-produced my latest album with Ricky. And um, we're still working on some new stuff as well. Um, but right now, I mean, the difference between somebody who just puts behind puts a whole bunch of money behind recording and just three good friends getting in a room and doing it mm-hmm. is is Huge. staggering. So it is. Um, this last album for life, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of uh, the work that Ricky and Rocky did. I'm proud of the songs, um, and I'm proud that we did it our, ourselves. You know, these days, like I, I literally just got this. I haven't really figured it all out yet, but this is essentially what the album was made on. Uh, wow. We sat, we sat in a room and and recorded, and just mixed and mastered and. Um, that way of working is something that I, that I really like. I, you know, it's really nice to go into really cool studios that are wood paneled and there's a guy with a big chair and stuff, but, um, it's not necessary all the time. So my daughter, she's releasing her next song on the 31st of this month. And she literally just went to the car with her boyfriend last night to mix it. Yeah. And like the car, she's like, we just need a quiet space, mom. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And so like that accessibility um, is is revolutionary. Uh, Ricky and I go back and forth pretty frequently about the debate on albums. I am a huge supporter of albums. Um, okay. I have my vinyl stack right here. And when I want to listen to an album, I put it on and I listen to the whole thing. I flip it over in the middle and I enjoy my time. Um, that's not the world we live in anymore. Right. It's, it's Spotify and iTunes and Amazon. And I hate that. I, I mean, I love tough. the albums and yeah, like it's just so much different now. It it's really definitely, is. it's definitely a conundrum. Um, because I think like, um, if you go back and if you listen to for life, uh, like my latest album from front to back, it, there's a pretty clear storyline. Like the songs are in order on purpose. Right, <laughs> like it, right. We didn't just throw them at the wall. Um, and those are some of my favorite albums, the ones that you just put on. It tells you a story. Um, so there are plans to have For Life put on vinyl. Um, one of the big problems is getting them made is so cheap or so expensive. So expensive, um, yeah. So that's a conundrum. I mean, I used to have a, a stage joke for people that would buy CDs. I would tell them, uh, even if you don't listen to it, it's a great coaster. Um, you know, and, and that's something that I'm I'm pretty well aware of. Like when somebody buys a CD, I'm kind of aware that you, you might put it in your car. You might put it, if your car has a CD player, you might put it in and listen to it. But other than that, I'm, I, I pretty much know that you won't. And that's kind of a, it's something I, I, I understand people want to buy them and show support and I appreciate that, but I want to give you something you're going to use. Right. you know, that's where like the t-shirts and hats and stuff, that's yeah. kind of, kind of more of the way to go until we can get the vinyl. Right. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny. Like my mom just bought a new car. It doesn't even have a CD player in it. I'm like, wow, this is just crazy. Yeah. Like, and then it's like all these bands that I talk to, they're doing cassette tapes again now. And I, yeah. like, we're going to have to redo the cars. These new cars next year are probably going to have, you know, 
It's got to go back to eight tracks soon. Yeah. It's crazy. We just did, uh, and this is something that Ricky has spearheaded, um, the Long Live the Scene cassette tape. Um, oh, nice. These have, it's a, so what we do is um, we bring our mixer to okay. every show that we play and we record the shows. Ricky was um, telling me about that. Yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing idea they did. And nor, it kind of started just by him doing it to record the, mm-hmm. the Shake shows and go back and listen to them. Yeah. Um, and then he put this together and this has been great. Um, it's got Billy Doom is Dead, this band Fuakata, uh my yes. band's on it, The Shake, Buck Stops Here, Eastway. Really great bands on this first volume, and um, you know some of the plans that we have for for Long Live the Scene are, are really, really cool, and that's kind of um, it's a great way. We we thought about so we just had three show three hundred forty three shows ago, and we have it recorded. And there's we were talking about possibly putting it out, maybe putting it out on cassette. Um, you know, it, I don't know if if I'm gonna do it yet. But doing this stuff with Long Live the Scene has been awesome in the aspect that it just keeps you involved and plugged in with all these other bands. And and you kind of get to work with everybody, and it does feel like a scene again. Whereas, you know, there were some points um, when I first came into this music scene again in in 2018 where it was kind of sporadic. It was kind of like sometimes you'd get support sometimes it was yeah. the opposite um yeah so that's kind of what what i think the goal is mainly with long live the scene is to keep the a healthy music scene that is yeah. continuing to put out new good music and stuff like that so that's something i'm really happy to be a part of yeah no it's a great thing and it's and i have like being a part of the scene even before i started my podcast and my events i was part of it cuz my daughter's band and mm. It's come, it's really come a long way since, I mean, I've been at it with her since her six, seven years. So right. it's come a long way since she started too. I hope it keeps growing and growing. Yeah. And I, I hope th- one day we come in contact with someone that we're going to hear on the radio or something right. great happens for them. Yeah, definitely. And, um, Ricky has a great song, um, it's called Nashville, where it's pretty much about how people always come up to musicians down here like, oh, you should go to Nashville or you should go to New York or L.A. It's kind of like, uh-huh. well, I think I like it here, you know, here. Um, uh-huh. and I like these these bands around here. I think we have a great scene. Um, you know, it's tough, I think, with the amount of venues that are allowing original music to happen mm-hmm. in their facility. Um, it. it since it's so limited, that's where it, it starts to create the problem of, of too much supply uh, yeah. of bands. And that, you know, that's something that COVID that's definitely true. didn't help, you know, with, uh, you know, a lot of venues had to go under. Um, yeah. Churchill's went under, although I, yeah. I honestly don't know if that was COVID-related or just nonsense related. <laughs> well, I always um, say that COVID started in that bathroom, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it, it's it's just losing those spaces and, yeah. and the strain that is still on the ones that exist. Um, you know, like Propaganda Lake Worth has kind of been my home for, for five years where right. I've, you know, been welcomed there every night. I used to spend probably too much time there. Um, you know, but I remember during the pandemic when they were locked down, you know, they were doing fundraisers and, and we did, uh, this is actually how Ricky and I met was, um, 
we did a virtual benefit for propaganda and we oh. raised somewhere like I think we raised something in like five digits, like ten thousand dollars or something Whoa, like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Um and uh that's something that I, like when I go back there, like it's something that I take a lot of pride in. Um that you know, this is something that I deep I care about very deeply right. and I'm I'm happy that I was able to help, you know, yeah. the way that I was. So you mentioned something that triggered a question that I was going to ask and I forgot. How do you feel about covers? Like, do you like playing covers or? I have, um, I definitely have reservations when it comes to covers. Um, I do play like the three hour gigs and stuff mm-hmm. down here, uh, when I'm not like on the road or anything or playing original shows cause they pay, it pays the bills and yeah. that's just, um, that's just kind of the nature of being down here. It's interesting, you know, that we, we toured up in the Northeast and, we were in uh, we were in Long Island, and Ricky was talking to the promoter there and said, "Man, all these venues, I would make so much money here doing my cover shows." And the guy said, "No, he's like, we only really do original music up here." Wow, like interesting. And it, it, that was mind blowing to us. Um, yeah, you know, you're telling me I wouldn't have to play Sweet Caroline? Like that'd be <laughs> amazing. Um, oh, so God. that's something that um, there's actually a song I'm working on right now that that deals with kind of that dilemma of if my music is is i don't want to say appreciated more but um accepted in more venues right and and paying gigs where i don't have to play covers if that's somewhere else that puts me in a bit of a spot um right now i don't mind playing cover gigs most of the cover gigs that i do down here are um a lot of breweries and the owners are really cool when it comes to my song selection. Mm-hmm. And I feel that I'm booked specifically because I don't play Sweet Caroline. I don't, I don't do Margaritaville. Right. Um, if you want that guy, there's, there's quite a few. Um, I'm not yeah, one. There is. <laughs> I, I play songs that I like. And that's the biggest thing. You know, it, everything in life comes down to fun. If you're mm-hmm. having fun while you do it, that's all that matters. So, right. Um, and that's where I do play some crowd pleasers. Like I play Hey Ya by Outkast, um, but I okay. do it my way and I have a lot right, of fun. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of Frank Turner covers. I, sometimes I get people with the question of like, oh, is that an original? And then you got to be like, no, it's this other guy. Uh, but <laughs> so that's, I mean, I, my biggest thing, I guess my, my rule of thumb when it comes to covers is I can't play a song that I don't like. Right. Part of me has that'll to go like through. It. It, it, it'll show. It will yeah. show. Like, um, who, I saw somebody just recently, and they were doing, like, a Justin Bieber cover. Oh, Lord. And I had seen this person in, like, a, a hardcore band, and I was like, uh-huh. you were you are dying inside. I'm watching this. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so it's something that I, I you know, maybe in, in a couple, maybe two years when I turn 30 and Bill's seem to be bigger uh maybe i'll start playing sweet caroline i don't know (laughs) oh my gosh that's so funny yeah there was the one simple man oh my god that would give my daughter's band twitches (laughs) they would be like oh no no scream it one more time i'm walking off the stage actually the bass player screamed back you play it (laughs) It like oh my god so okay so tell me about your songwriting process like um you you said you're you're sober for over a year now. Did that mm-hmm. play a role in a lot of your songs that you've written? Yeah. Um, it, 
Ricky asked. We we did a songwriter night, and, and Ricky brought up the great question of how it affect how getting sober specifically affected my songwriting. Yeah, and um, my answer was I look back at my catalog prior to getting sober, and there are songs um, that are just essentially about excess, and there's quite a few of them. Uh, um, but even while I was still not sober, uh, the songwriting was starting to evolve away from that. And I think that's okay. because even, even then I was conscious that I didn't necessarily want to repeat myself. Um, and it's a little bit, it's kind of the same when it comes to getting sober. Um, I have, a, there's a, there's quite a few songs on for life, for life being one of them, um, that are about being sober or getting sober. Um, and I feel like I kind of, I've written those now. So the next album doesn't necessarily need to, to be about that. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll, it'll bleed into, to things that I write. One of the things that I was, I actually kind of just did today was, um, I always felt that I would be able to still kind of write from that mindset of somebody who who isn't sober or right. decided or decided not to get sober. And so today, actually, um, I wrote a Christmas song because the best time to write a Christmas song is in March. Right. And, <laughs> um, and it's, it's a very crude Christmas song about maybe having a few too many at Christmas. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, so writing from that point of view is still available. Um, that's kind of really important to me. Um, not, not to, to, always dwell on uh, a past of intoxication, but to kind of be able to put myself in different shoes before writing something. Right. Um, So I always, I try not to analyze my songwriting too much because I don't want to, I'm, I'm like scared to break something almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I get that. But I'm, I'm kind of, I, I guess I would be considered old school. Like I don't really do the, I don't really write too much on my phone. Um, okay. I do like I have a leather journal that when I'm traveling comes with me and and that's right. kind of where ideas can go. I kind of like the process of like you write something down and decide something's better. So you got to like, scratch it out, you know, um, I like yeah. that a lot. And uh, I think it's Keith Richards has uh, a quote where he was saying being like a creative person is just kind of having your antenna up and waiting for like something to strike. Right. And and so that's what, you know, I think. You know, it's like arts and crafts. Like, there's the art side, which is getting the lightning to strike. Then there's the craft side, which is putting it into a song. And the craft side, you can work on. So as you continue to write songs, the process of taking the lightning strike and converting it into a song starts to get easier. Um, And you have methods that you know work and things like that. So um, that's really all I do these days is I try and just be prepared for the lightning strikes. Um, so I, I, you know, I do have some voice memos where it's me humming in the bathroom, something like that, you know, (laughs) Uh, and then you get home and you write it down. And then nowadays, um, in the early days of when I was doing my own demos to send to Ricky, they were very bad. It was essentially just a voice memo and maybe Uh I'd be like smacking something. Um, (laughs) these days now, now I'm a little more professional. I have, um, actually over here, I have my guitar rack where I have like my acoustics, my electrics. Uh, I can run them into my system and record proper demos and stuff like that. Um, and that, that kind of is all part of the COVID stuff, too. It was just like, right. well, I might as well learn how to do this. 
Exactly. Um, Nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's been, it's been revolutionary when it comes to, to songwriting because it gives me, I can start a song and be like, all right, I've got a great first verse, a great chorus. Let me just record it as if it's a song and then right. I'll just write it, write it when it's done, you know? Um, that's been, that's been an amazing tool when it, when it's come to my songwriting. So I would be interested in knowing, um, cause I could only imagine how frightening it was when you made the decision that you were just going to become sober. Mm. Um, how you felt like, were you scared that your songwriting was going to go super South? Were you nervous that like, um, Oh, if I'm sober now. You know, I'm going to sound like shit or this is going to be awful. Like, I can only imagine, like, because I know it plays games on your mind to begin with. And that's probably something that really grabbed onto. Like, you're not going to be as good as you are today if you don't do this. Yeah. And uh, there was also a question that I a a question that I had to ask and answer honestly to myself. Um, Do I want to be in this for the music or did I want to be in this for the party? And right, that's something right. that you have to be very it's a very honest good with question. Yourself. Yes, um, and, such a good question. And it was something that I sat with for a while. And while I did enjoy a lot of the excess, what it always came came back to was I still remember being the the thirteen year old kid uh, in his room with the guitar. I didn't really have like a bunch of friends or anything, so I would just sit in right. there and write songs by myself. And back then, I didn't care what anybody thought of the songs. Didn't care about how many streams they got or anything like that. Right. I just enjoyed the process and I enjoyed playing them. And yeah. when I thought about that, that kind of told me I was like, "This, this is, I think, going to be okay." Um, and I actually like when I got sober, I did the whole thing. Like I went, I went to a treatment center uh, with mm-hmm. doctors and stuff like that. Right. And, um, you know, when I came back home. I think that weekend I had a show at Prosperity Brewers. In oh my Boca. God. Talk about throwing yourself to the wolves. Yeah, Jeez. so it, it was kind of like I remember, like on the flight home, kind of thinking, like, we'll see. You know, this is kind of going to be it. And it, it was a, a there was a part of me that was like, I'm going to have to make a decision after tonight of if I think I can continue in this world uh, right. of music. You know, sober. And, yeah, sober because. Um, you know, in the music industry, a lot of the times at venues, alcohol is more readily available than food. You know, yeah, they don't give you a meal right. ticket. They give you a drink ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I had to sit with for a while. And, um, you know, some there was I had a therapist at the treatment center and she was not thrilled about it. Um, but I kind of I kind of knew that I had to figure this one out for myself. And right. when, when I came back, you know, like I was never a person like some people say they, they drink or, or use other things to deal with stage fright or, or give them some confidence. I never, never really had stage fright. Um, so that wasn't something I was worried about. But coming back and kind of just the it's like from Talladega Nights when Ricky Bob is just like, I, have, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, right. That yeah. and that was a real thing for for a while, mm-hmm. and that was really the only, like I had a huge crutch, and all of my friends make fun of me for it. But there's the water company, Liquid Death, and okay. I absolutely love Liquid Death. Uh, I don't have any today because they they sold out. I probably bought them all already. But uh, pretty <laughs> much, pretty much, they come in a can, 
And so, uh, like, this is a San Pellegrino, but it came in a can, and so it just gave me something to do with my hands. And I yeah. could stand, I could stand at the merch table and talk to somebody, and it wouldn't yeah. feel weird. Um, yeah. And so that, that, was, that was a, a huge smart. Crush. That's smart. Yeah, that's huge. I remember I quit smoking, and I was a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, I smoked for nearly thirty years, and um, I quit cold turkey. I pro- I knew if I was going to quit, I had to do something drastic. And so I promised my daughter I will never have a cigarette again. I wanted one. I still want one mm-hmm. today. Yep. And it's been uh, 14 years. And wow. I was I was like, I detoxed for two weeks. I was the worst person to be around for two weeks. Mm-hmm. But the whole what do you do with your hands thing, it was like I found that the hardest part was the first everything. Like the first time I drove the car without a cigarette. Right. The first time I right. had a soda without a cigarette. The first morning I woke up and what the hell am I going to do? Because usually I go and have a cigarette first. Now I got, Yep. I mean, after dinner, the first everything, it was all the firsts. And once I got mm. past those firsts of everything that I had done for almost 30 years, right. then it was okay. But, yeah, no, it's a huge thing that you've done, though. Like, that's, like, I have so many people in my life that still are trying to succeed as a bride. My ex-husband is still mm. trying to, like, um, and that led to our divorce. So it's a huge thing yeah. that, like, you got to, like, you're very yeah. proud of yourself for that because not many yeah. people do it. Well, and it's something that, um, you know, I'm very, uh, like, I grew up, like, I grew up with parents, well, my mom uh, was also a recovering alcoholic, and uh, I kind of know, I kind of knew the downsides of if I didn't get this figured out. Right. Um, And that's kind of where, even today, you know, I'm not complacent in my sobriety. I'm never, uh, the reason it's called recovery, they always say, is because... It's a process, and you're still mm-hmm. doing it. You're not recovered, um, right? You know, and so it's something that that I take into account. Um, I've been relatively lucky as far as situations I've been in um, that that may have proved uh, detrimental to my sobriety. One pops out. We were on tour in Texas, and luckily, I was with the Shake for this tour, and. Um, we were in the back backstage area of this venue, and and one of the local bands comes in, and just immediately, it's just me and him, and he just looks at me, pulls out a bag, and asks if I want some. I said no, and kind of ran out, and was very right. uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable for the rest of the night, and uh, I'm Akira, sure the drummer from the Shake came up and kind of told me, he's like, "Hey, there's a secret green room, like a one that the other band doesn't know about. Let's go put all our stuff in there." And so he kind of we went into this other room wow. and. It was bigger and cooler, and uh, <laughs> and it was away from them, too, so I kind of got to hang out there all night instead. But other than that, I haven't really had too many instances of, of things possibly going wrong. Um, a lot of people have been super supportive. Mo- most people have been super supportive. Um, and, and yeah, kind of right when, when the, the Shake and I started to tour, that was another test. You know, it was another test of what is touring sober. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, because I was definitely a a person who had the late nights and and stuff and stuff like that, and I wasn't used to uh, being responsible or being a being right. an adult, really. You a grown know? up, yeah. Yeah, because being on tour is is just arrested adolescence. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and it's very easy to consider yourself, you know, like a pirate just rolling through town, and you mess stuff up, right. and you go roll through another one. Um, but now like coming back, 
Uh, I remember the, one of the big things, it wasn't the reason I got sober, but one of the big things was um, we had played a, a show in Daytona, and it was very bad, and, and it was because of me. And Ricky sent me a message the next day, and it wasn't uh, screw you or, or you're a terrible person or anything like that. All the message said was if this is the level of professionalism that you're going to have, I can't be a part of that. And I remember right. profes- professionalism stuck out to me. I was like, right. shit. Or, you know, that's not great. I screwed up. So, um, that's when, when I came out and I started to tour with the shake again and they asked me to tour manage them. Professionalism is number one. Um, you know, we're, we're on time. We're prepared, uh, you know, and, and just that takes discipline and it definitely takes discipline. Um, cause it's very easy, uh, in cities, you know, New Orleans or Austin or New York city, it's very easy to have a late night. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, even sober, it's, it's very easy to have a late night in those cities. Uh, and you have to be disciplined. You can't go around right. yelling all night. You got to take care of your body and, and be prepared because, because you are doing a job. And that, that was yeah. another, you know, that was a thing that took a while for me to understand. And it's taken a while for some other people that are close to me to understand is that when I go on tour, it's not a vacation. Right. It's not. It's not like a rolling bachelor party. It it is a job, and and you have to be good at your job. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So since 2018, since you started going, you know, by the Dominic mm-hmm. Delaney project here, um, what is the best decision you think you've made? Uh, we've already talked about getting sober, so I'll, I'll say other than that. Other than uh, that, yeah. Let's see. Best decision I've made. Um, deciding to release for life independently. That was big. Um, the, the label that I had had problems with, they did, they wanted it. Um, and I said, absolutely not. Uh, after Mm -hmm. the things that happened with the first label, it, it just wasn't worth it to me. Um, and that album has brought and you know, it was released in September and it's since then it's brought, um, so much more than, you know, I could have imagined just in the aspect that now we're playing this live as a full band. Um, it sounds just like how it did on the album when we play it live, which the first one didn't. Um, and people are relating to it. People right. people like like these songs, and, and I'm told that these are the best songs that I've written. And that's, oh, that's something fantastic. That, yeah, it's something that, that's very validating and, and, yeah. and definitely want wants to con- I want to continue down that road of improvement um you know some of the songs I think the subject matter um is is very universal I maybe it's in Florida like like Delray is the rehab capital of the world mm-hmm. um and so I think that there is some sort of exaggerated relatability when it's okay. played down here, I think people yeah. people understand a lot more what I'm talking about because because it's so localized, right? Um, you know, and and then there's other songs. There's a, a acoustic song that that will be a full band song, but it's acoustic on the album uh, called F Florida, and um, you know, it's a it's it's people see the title and they get very upset, and they're like, "How can you say that about your state?" Um, but if you go and you, you listen to the song, it's, it's really a love song to Florida. Um, and I noticed you have how, a hat that says F Florida. And I do. Has, yeah. I do. Um, and it's so a pretty those cool will, hat. <laughs> thank you. 
Um, yeah, we'll be having a lot more of that merch because we are recording a full band version and we're going to nice. release that as a single and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, people get very upset when they just hear that out of context. Somebody actually commented on the post when that picture of the hat was oh. up and, and was very offended. Um, really? And I just kind of I just kind of linked the song and and, and left it at that. <laughs> yeah, and and that's where I mean, like one of the things about traveling so much, uh, like last year. I traveled 16,413 miles, and people know I'm Floridian when I go somewhere. Right. And I don't, I don't know how, but it's, it's, I, there's some sort of telltale sign that I am from Florida. And, uh, <laughs> and people Are you pick a native? up on it. Yeah, yeah. Born I am East. too. Yes. Yeah. So people know. I don't know how, That's but funny. they just, uh, I always get asked about like Florida man stories. Like, is that a real thing? And I was like, yeah, Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so what was your favorite tour that you've been on? The favorite tour I've been on? Well, we did one. It was me and the Shake uh, last September, and it was called okay. the Two, Two Porta Tour. And um, for that one, we brought Justin Hucker, who runs Live Music Community up, up in Gardens, um, which is like a great music school for kids. They do like um, – kind of like donation-based events for for instruments and stuff like that. Uh, but he runs that, and he came on that entire tour to film. And uh, we're, wow. we're putting – yeah, we're putting all those videos together uh, for a bit of like a little docu-series. On, oh, nice. On, yeah, that will be on the Shakes YouTube, and it should be coming out, I believe, in May. Awesome. Um, but it was just a great time. It was It was my first time doing an East Coast tour. Right. Um, so we, we did South Carolina, North Carolina, D.C. We were in Baltimore, Philly, uh, New York, Long Island. And then um, we were supposed to do Boston, but things got really crazy. Um, and it's all on video. And, <laughs> I would definitely um, watch it. Yeah, and so like when we did it, um, and this doesn't spoil too much because it, it was pretty well known, but on the way home uh, on the tour, we had to race – the, the last hurricane we have. I think it was, was it Hurricane Matthew, oh. I think. I can't remember what it was called. But this this last hurricane that we had last September, um, we were in Long Island the day before it was hitting. Okay. Like, we had about, I think we had like 17 hours to make it to Florida. Oh, my and God. And I, like, I, I remember 2005. I remember, like, I remember hurricanes messing this place up. Mm-hmm. And... You know, everybody kind of had that bravado on the way home of, oh, it's you know, just a hurricane. You know, we have them all the time. <laughs> and I, I was like, I agree, but we were also on that tour. We were in an RV. Uh-huh. And, and, like, <laughs> and, like, my parents are teachers here uh, in Palm Beach County. And I was telling them, I was like, guys, like, if the winds are over 35 miles an hour, you can't – we can't be on the road with this. Like, right. It's the same reason they they don't let school buses the go. school buses, they'll, they'll yeah. tip over. And everybody's like, oh, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I was like, no, 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 no I swear. <laughs> um, and so we, we kept going, and we, we raced this hurricane, and, like, we were checking the – I was in the co-pilot seat. Ricky was driving, and, and we were checking the uh, the hurricane update, like, every three hours or whatever it is. And and there were some times where it was pretty sketchy, and, like, the worst was right when we got into Palm Beach County. Uh, we We were the only thing on 95. Oh, and goodness. it was so bad that like you would blink, oh and we would be in a different lane because the wind blew us over. You're so kidding! Have to, have to I would be so scared. Over. 
It was terrifying. Oh my and by, god! And by this point, we had had to tape like every drawer in the RV closed because every time we would hit a turn, they would like shoot open. Mm-hmm. And I remember like kind of uh, like sitting, and oh I was like, the god. the knife drawer is like right next to me. Like, oh no! <laughs> flip this thing is just gonna impale me. And luckily, we made it home. Uh, a couple scratches, but other than that, totally fine. That's insane. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a wild adventure. Uh, we had it makes for a great story. <laughs> it, that's where all we could say the entire tour was like, we're so glad we picked this one to film. Right. Um. Yeah. It was it was great. And then uh, you know, since then, uh, this year I started. Uh, I I've already done one, but I'm planning on doing four. Uh, oh, okay. I've decided to do tours. By Amtrak train. Oh my and, gosh, that's gonna be super cool. It's it. So we did one up north. We uh, in January we went up to this studio called Least of All in Brooklyn, and they uh, they did like this like direct to vinyl recording thing. So we got like these vinyl singles um, from them, and they're really cool. Oh my like, god. Clear. That's yeah. your, that whoa. Uh, yeah, I love really cool. that. Um, so they recorded s- it directly to vinyl? Yeah, so each one is j- is a is a single, so there's one song on each record. Um I have a couple well I have this one and then I have some secret ones. That's um, really cool. But yeah, so like we did like a pre-order thing so people were able to pre-order them and least of all mailed them out uh after mm. we recorded up there. Uh, but once we were, once we started to plan that, I was kind of like, well, I don't want to go all the way up there just for the recording as great as it is. Um, and that's like, I had the idea for the Amtrak tour for a while and I was like, I think this is, this is the time to try it. And so the way it worked was we went up for three days to play a couple warm up shows in New York and then do the recording, um, and then we had one final full band show in New York and Brooklyn that was amazing. And uh, and then Rocky and Ricky flew home, mm-hmm. and I continued on solo. And uh, I went to New Haven, Connecticut. I went to Brunswick, Maine. I went to Pawtucket, Rhode Island, oh, and wow. Boston, Massachusetts. And did it all by train. And wow. it was uh, – I'm actually like I'm editing a video – uh, series of that as well. The first one's already on my YouTube. Um, it was it was something I had never done. Like I didn't get to go on like that fifth grade school trip that everybody right? goes to DC where they take the train. <laughs> I didn't get to do that. And so I'd never been on any train other than like the tri rail. Right. And um, so yeah, it was definitely it was there was a bit of a learning curve the first couple days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it started out when we were in New York, we kind of got to use the subway, and that was like a warm-up. And then uh, once they left, I had to take my first Amtrak to Connecticut. Um, you know, I, I showed up like two hours early, like at the airport, and you don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> you can show up five minutes before. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, there's just like a learning curve. But the trains themselves were really cool. Um they all, most of the ones I was on had like the cafe cart, so you can go, you can get a coffee and some oh, like breakfast. Cool. I've and never stuff, been on a train. I've never been really on any cool. of that stuff. It was really cool, and and you know, like it was January in the Northeast, and um, we lucked out for the most part with with the weather. Like in New York, we got some snow flurries, but nothing too bad. And the boys right. flew home, and then I went on to Connecticut, and I didn't really get any snow. It was just kind of cold. Um, right. But I, I also I ended up 
just stumbling. I had a day off. I stumbled upon Yale University because <laughs> I didn't even know it was in New Haven. And, and, um, <laughs> and like they were celebrating the Chinese New Year. And someone was like, oh, we're having this event. And, like they saw me with my guitar. They're like, come play a few songs. I was like, oh, my yes. God. So, That's um, awesome. So I, they're on the show list. There is a show where I played at Yale. Uh, in a propaganda <laughs> t-shirt too. That's hysterical. Um, yeah. So there, and then, uh, but yeah, going up north to like Brunswick, Maine is where I, I got like heavy snow. Um, and it was also the city that had the worst public transportation out of all the ones I went to. Like oh, Connecticut, really? Connecticut was great. Connecticut, the buses were free. Um, wow. so that was awesome. And then I went to Maine and I was in Brunswick, Maine and they don't have buses. And so I had to get an Uber, uh, and I got an Uber, and she dropped me off at a store, and I had to get another Uber to get to my hotel, mm -hmm. and the same lady showed up. And I was like, are you the only Uber <laughs> driver in this town? And she said, she's like, the only Uber drivers here are me and my mom. And I had <laughs> What's a, a family business? Yeah, <laughs> I, I told her, I was like, well, hey, like, I have to catch this train at 11 a.m. tomorrow. Like, are you going to be around? <laughs> and she actually, she ended up just giving me her personal phone number. And just really? said, yeah, just call me. I'll come pick you up. And, um, oh, my God. It was hysterical. It's very weird. Um, you know, and then Boston, uh, Boston, we played, it, or I played, it was a Monday night, and uh, the show sold out. You know, like there were some other local bands that were playing. This one band I fell in love with called Summer Cult, um, but the place sold out, and I got to kind of I was by my merch table, and I saw somebody try and come in, and the the door guy just be like, "We're not taking any more people in," and I was oh just gosh. like, "Like, oh my god!" Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the first sold out show that I've ever played at, and that's awesome. And, it was like a Monday night in like a dart bar in Boston. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, and then, yeah, so that whole tour, that was amazing. The next one's coming up uh, pretty soon. Um, mm -hmm. I have a tour before that in April with Billy Doom is Dead and The Shake. Uh, and that's just going to be like a Florida run. And then in May, I'm flying out to Los Angeles and doing the next Amtrak tour from Los Angeles up to Seattle. That's awesome. Yeah, That's I have this thing uh, where I, I, I my wallet somewhere, but in my wallet I have a map, uh, okay. and I'm, I cross off every state. And the uh -huh. goal, of course, is to play in every state. Every so state. I, I think right now I'm at like 23. Um, oh wow! I want to break 30 by the end of the year. I think uh, you will. So yeah, I'm I'm excited, um, and it's kind of it's it's. Something that I've been trying – Amtrak seems very open to, like, collaboration. They were, like, sharing my stuff while I was tagging them. They were liking oh, wow. it, commenting and stuff. And the video – the first video that I put up has been doing pretty well on YouTube. And so I hope to, at some point in the future, kind of collaborate with them um, because I am, you know, still paying for these trains and sometimes with the routing. Right. Uh, like, on the last one – I did have one really bad travel day, and I think it was from Connecticut to Maine, where okay. I had like a, a 4 a.m. train, and that was pretty rough. Um, but they they they've been announcing these new trains and stuff, and I don't know how I got targeted for these advertisements. Maybe it was just telling people too much about the idea. <laughs> but I started getting all these advertisements about these different trains that they're having. These very right. new, like one of them's like essentially like a 360 view, like it's You're clear. Kidding. Um, what? Yeah, and so, like, I want to be on that train. Like, right? Amtrak, hook it up. 
Um, <laughs> I will tell so many people how awesome your trains are if you put me on that. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting. The problem that I'm running into right now with the one that's coming up in May is, um, you know, the longest Amtrak I took on the Northeast one was three hours maybe. And I think that was from Connecticut to Maine. Okay. Um, my first Amtrak from Los Angeles, California to Redding, California is 13 hours. You're kidding. So this one's definitely going to be a, a bit more of You're an You're going to have to get a test. room to take, like, one of those uh, things that so, I see in the movies, the rooms that you can sleep in. So, yeah, <laughs> they have they're, they have them. They're called roomettes. And roomettes. the problem with them, like, the whole idea of the Amtrak tour was how can I make a more affordable way to tour. Right. And yeah. that's, like, uh, my, my train from Rhode Island to Boston was $7. Whoa. Um, yeah, like You're it was kidding. ridiculous. And that's where, you know, the seat for this 12-hour train ride is still only $50. But wow. if you want like a roomette, a roomette will run you 6 $700. And oh, that's yeah, no. Like, you could sleep sitting I'll up. Fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that's where, you know, I'm pretty, uh, I'm not a very like anxious, anxious person. I, I can sit still reasonably well. Like, I like to read. I 13 like to do, like, hours. Yeah. I don't know. But that's also where, like, I, I've been talking talking myself into this still. Where uh, <laughs> I'm like, well, they have the cafe car. And, and you can kind of walk around. Um, and I have learned from the first trip how to get, like, my favorite seat on the train. Um, oh, how's that? So I noticed very early on that when a, when a train pulls into the the platform, um, most people will be in the f- area of the first two cars. Nobody really wants to take the effort and walk all the way down to the end before they okay. have to. So what I do is I walk all the way down to the end. So when that train stops and that door opens, I'm already in the last car. And that means I could pick my seat, put a bag to the one next to me. Right. All the other people who walk by and see that the seats are taken and have to go to the back, now they've got kind of got to work around me. Um, right. <laughs> and, and that was something I started doing really early on in the Amtrak tour because I was aware of the guitar case because I travel with a hard case on okay. my acoustic. And uh, thankfully, the luggage racks on Amtraks are bigger. So I was able to kind of just throw it up. But, like, the way they were divided, like, this one luggage rack, like, this is mine. Like, nobody else right. puts stuff in this one because there's a guitar, there's a backpack, and, like, a gym bag filled with merch. Um and so, yeah, I, I kind of started to get lucky with with doing it that way. And I think I never really had, like, somebody sitting next to me at right. all for, the, for the, all the Amtraks I took. So wow. I'm hoping that that will translate uh, to the West Coast. But I've never been uh, – the furthest west I've ever been is Denver, Colorado. So um, California is always – you know, L.A. has always kind of been uh, just a little bit off my radar. So right. we'll see – We'll see how um, how I do there. So you're married. Mm-hmm. What does your wife do when you go on these tours? Does she go with you or? So no, she doesn't really get to come on the tours as like the long ones or the you know the real tours, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, she has come to some out of state shows. We did Nashville last year and scheduled a couple extra days so we could do fun stuff. Um, she came for uh, a Florida tour that I did with the shake. Um, 
And then just last year also she got to come up to New Jersey and New York when I played there. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as coming out for the – when I'm gone for a week, two weeks, three weeks, she can't do that. You know, she does have right. a job here and stuff. Um, and so, I mean, it's tough being – being away from each other, but thankfully, you know, like I, I always look back at bands from like the seventies or eighties and stuff. Um, you know, the way that they must have had to communicate with their significant other, you know, hotel room phones yeah. and stuff yeah. like that where where I miss my wife and I I FaceTime her. Right. Know? Um and yeah, that's so that's true. something technology is so much better these days. It is and, and it's something that we definitely utilize a lot. Um and we try and talk as much as we can when I'm on yeah. the road. Um and then you know, th- to some extent, there is also uh, it, it. It kind of it disrupts your relationship in just the right way. That like, it sounds weird to say it, but like, I'm happy with that she misses me when I'm gone. Yeah. And I'm also very happy that she gets excited when I come back. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so those those little moments are very enjoyable uh, and sometimes worth you know the the distance. Yeah. Um, for a while. But yeah, I mean, we're hoping that um, at some point in the future, we'll be able to uh, do some traveling together. Um, we, we never got to have a honeymoon because we did get married during COVID. Um, oh, you I did? Ha- yeah. And I have been forbidden from playing any shows on our honeymoon. Um, <laughs> she, my wife, my wife makes a very valid point that I'm terrible at taking vacations, especially if it's somewhere that I haven't played. Like if it's oh, a state, funny. if it's a state that I haven't played, there's no question I'm booking a show. It will happen. right. Well, it has um, to be marked off your list. exactly. It has to go off the map. Yeah, so exactly. Um, so it's very tough to for me to take vacations. Um, thankfully, as more states are starting to get filled in, it seems like I can start to relax a little bit. Right. Um, go some places <laughs> that maybe I've played already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So definitely hoping to get her on the road sometime soon. Yeah. How did How did you guys meet? You and your wife. So we, this year, we will be celebrating 12 years together. Wow, uh, awesome. We met, yeah, we met in high school when we were Aww. 16. And, uh, yeah, we've been together ever since. Um, decided to get married last year. We'd been engaged for a while and we're right. kind of figuring out how to do the wedding. And then it was like in 2020, it was like, well, the world might end tomorrow. So <laughs> let's, let's just do this. Um, oh, God. And it was also kind of that thing of, you know, who are we having this wedding for? Like, is this for right. other people? Like, cause I'm fine exactly. just in this room and so was she. So yeah. we'll probably still, we still want to do some sort of celebration down the line and get everything yeah. together. But, um, yeah, we were just happy to get married. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's been cool. Yeah. So many people over COVID felt that same way and they just like threw together like a real quick, like. My mom's here, your mom's here, whatever type of thing mm-hmm. in the living room, and that was it. And, yeah. But you're right. It's it's whatever you guys want, and that's yeah. what it is. Definitely, and, yeah. and it's something, you know, like we are looking at, a, like, our, our future and things like that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like weddings are expensive, like super They're expensive. They're not cheap. Uh-uh. Uh, and that's where we were just kind of mm-hmm. like. It seems more worth it to us to put that money either toward if we if we want to we want to use that money as expendable then let's put it towards mm-hmm. our honeymoon if we want to use that money to grow uh, well then let's start looking at house or or you know something yeah. like that you know? yeah yeah Florida is just so expensive right now oh my god and, and I'm a realtor it's it's, it's pretty rough it's pretty it rough um, it, and that's where I mean you know it's another thing when when traveling I remember I was in Denver. 
And uh, I remember this guy just kind of coming out to me, and he looked sad. Like, he, this guy was hurting. He's like, I don't know, man. I can't do it anymore living here in downtown Denver. I was like, oh, man, what do you pay? He's like, I got a two-bedroom, man. It's 1500 a month. I'm like, bro, that's West Palm Beach. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You're in Denver, man. Um, and that was just like, it was like a culture shock. And then like, we were even like, we were in an Austin, Texas and we drove by like a gas station or something. And they had a hiring now hiring cashiers for $18 an hour. We're just like, what is this place? <laughs> like this Florida does not do that. Um, yeah, Florida has been making it pretty rough. It's very, yeah, it's, it's rough. Yep. So. Where would you like to see yourself in, let's say, like two two years from now? Where would you like to see yourself? Uh, two years from now, I'd like to see myself, you know, on um, tours that that might be a little more guaranteed sources of income. Um, I'd like to continue to see the show size grow and to see more people enjoying my music. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would hope to still be on the road in two years. Um, I'll be 30. So how I'm on the road, I'm sure will change. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to still be seeing new things and, and meeting new people and having fun. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we talked a little bit about the local scene. Do you have a favorite venue that you play at? Propaganda will always be number one for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Matthews Brewing's a really nice venue as well. Um, and then J Prosperity Brewers is another one that, you know, like okay. Dom his name is also Dominic, um, which is awesome. Uh, he's <laughs> been very open to to allowing original music as well as cover music to come into his venue. And, and that's so important in our music scene. And we're, it's great that we're starting to see some of these places that are traditionally um, cover venues transition yeah. into original music venues. Fat Cats in Boca has even started doing some... Some oh, nice. more original music and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's always hard to pick a favorite. Prop propaganda will always have a very special place in my heart. Um, right. You know, so th so that's probably got to be the one for me. Okay, so other than the Shake, who's your favorite local band? Eastway is is kind of on the forefront of my head right now because we just played with them uh, in St. Patrick's Day, and they're they're a band out of Boca. Um, okay. And and somehow we, when we first, the first show I played with them was Prosperity Brewers' um, fourth anniversary party last year. And we're actually, we're playing the fifth year anniversary party next month uh, okay. together again. And we had met, and I remember texting Ricky that day. I was like, hey, I've got a new band for us on, on events. And I told him, like, there's this band Eastway. You know, at the time, I think they only played, like, two or three originals. And I was like, these guys are, these guys are going to be good. Um, and they are. And now they're, they're working on recording their music and getting it out and um you know their their warehouse is kind of near the shake warehouse where we all kind of work so we kind of bounce ideas back and forth and stuff and so they're they're coming along amazingly well um right. and they're already just a monstrous live band um and then there's another band that i just met um we played with that fat cats in fort lauderdale called blab scam and uh, okay. they're from they're from Lake Worth, and I had never met them before. I, I guess they're a relatively new band, um, but they put on an amazing show, and okay. and it was it was something that we we have it recorded, and so you know since then Ricky has has shown me some of the stuff that he got out of their set, and it just sounds amazing. 
Um, and we're actually doing a live Long Live the Scene podcast um, where we're going to record it live out of propaganda. And it, oh, the first awesome. episode, yeah, the first episode is going to be Blab Scam. And so I'm going to be hosting that um, and talking to those guys and, and figuring out what they are because um, it, it was like punk, but then it was like surf rock. And, you know, right? it was. It was kind of ticking all the boxes, and this is going to get me in trouble with, with a lot of Floridians. They didn't play any reggae, and I loved it. Uh, it was great. It was amazing. Um, there are so you're not a reggae, reggae guy. <laughs> there's amazing reggae bands down here. There's a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just can't. The reggae guitar, it's just I would get bored. It's just right. that like okay. one – it's yeah, not I get enough that. For me. Not enough. I get for that. Me. I, need, I need to. My guitars are gross because they get beat up all night. Right. Um, but yeah. So these guys, the Blab Scam was absolutely amazing. I can't wait to interview them. I'm I don't know what their name up. means. Yeah, it's they. They were something else for sure. And then, um, and then Billy Doom is dead. Uh, Billy. The way I met Billy was he was originally going to be playing electric guitar for me. Um, he also plays in Spread the Dub, and then he has Billy Doom is Dead, and so he, he's a pretty busy guy, and there were some shows he couldn't make, and the trio kind of started mm. to work, so that's what we've been going with for right now is just, just the trio, uh, but we are touring together in April, um, and his act, Billy Doom is Dead, is just very in-your-face punk rock. Um, they just got to play Culture Room and open for Less Than Jake, and nice. uh, yeah, they are just amazing musicians um their bass player kevin super nice andy guitar player super nice um and I'm, I'm excited to be hitting the road with them next month that's awesome um who is like your dream if you were able to open up for somebody who would that be oh it'd have to be frank frank turner yeah 100%. i figured i figured it was 100 percent. yeah and the thing is um so the first frank turner gig that i actually got to go to uh-huh. Um, or at least that I remember going to, was um, the Menzingers, which is a band out of Philadelphia, um, the Homeless Gospel Choir, and then this band, Lucero. The and Yeah, and um, <laughs> so I saw them, and then later on in that year, I was this was around the time when I started playing again, and um, I got booked on Sing Out Loud Festival in St. Augustine. And okay. And they put me on the same day as the Menzingers. Oh, um, that's exciting. So, yeah, so I was on the same day as the Menzingers, and there was also a band called Hot Water Music, and they're amazing. Um, <laughs> and they're from Gainesville, and they're super good. But uh, it was great to, to play with the Menzingers, and then um, I think it was sometime in maybe 2019, um, Harley Poe was going to come to West Palm Beach, and the Homeless Gospel Choir was on that show. And I was working on getting that opening gig too so i could knock out both of the openers for frank um unfortunately covid happened and canceled that show uh, so i didn't get to do it so oh, uh, but yeah no. yeah and I then COVID so ruined everything oh man i had a i had a heartbreaking day so my whole goal of 2019 was to work my ass off and get booked for south by southwest and i did it <laughs> i worked so hard and i started playing out of state i started meeting people and i got south by southwest and it was a small small little showcase in south by southwest uh-huh. and i was so proud and i was ready to go to it was gonna be my first time in texas and covid 
canceled it. And I remember I I just had the the notification because South by Southwest is always in March, and I just got the notification of like the reminder from like two years ago. It was like a week before. I remember like knowing like everything was starting to close, and I remember just being like, just let South by Southwest right, like just let it happen. We'll all go home after. Yeah. and then about a week, bo- <laughs> a week before, they they canceled everything it, shut yeah. down. Ah oh, man, that stinks. That stinks. Yeah, that that one hurt a lot. But. So, have you ever had any like what you would consider to be like a groupie or anything like that? Anything crazy? Any stories that you could I've tell had, me that would be crazy? Yeah, I've had some interesting interactions. Um, I have a a song called called Broken Finger, and it was written. Um, and it's, it's, it was written, it's a funny song, and it, but it was written about a very true, uh, instance that happened where I was working at a metal factory and I broke my finger. Um, and the whole thing with counting my shows, I broke my finger around like show number 99. And okay. so show 100 was scheduled and there was no canceling it or moving it. Um, and so I had to play with the broken finger and that's where like, I just kind of like hockey taped it and was like, all right, I'm okay. And <laughs> I wrote the song and it was my middle finger that's broken. So sometimes when I'm playing it, especially if I like, this is really only weird when I don't know the person. And it's happened a couple times where I'll be playing it and I'll look up and there's just multiple people flicking me off. And <laughs> it's, it's very intimidating, especially in a place that like, if you don't know, people know the song and, yeah. um, and then most of the time people will come up and be like, oh, you know, like we know that people do that during that song. Right. And that's always right. kind of what I'm um, But that's had, pretty cool, though, that they do that. that yeah. You know, that you're getting flipped off. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. And I think that, like, a lot of, uh, like, fan interactions, I, I'm always like, you know, I never want to come across. I've had some weird ones um, uh-huh. some or some pe- some peculiar ones. But in most instances, someone is struggling with the society or, like, with, like, personal boundaries kind of yeah um you know but they're meaning to pay pay me a compliment you know and so i'm I'm hesitant to ever kind of like poke fun at them um but i have had some weird ones like new orleans um new orleans is kind of just new orleans and and the first time i played there i was i was kind of on the wrong bill i was opening for like this like very heavy metal band Mm -hmm. um and there were there were a few streakers. There were a few. Oh lord! Uh, it was a very New Orleans <laughs> scene, and yeah. this was prior. This was prior to getting sober too, so I can't claim <laughs> any innocence. I was, was just as guilty as everybody else. But um, yeah, I've had some weird interactions for sure. There was so very early on in my career, I started um, some of the first you know gigs that would pay me more than uh, you know fifty bucks or something. I got asked to start playing at these festivals, and they're like, oh, it's at a, a naturist resort. I was like, oh, I love nature. Oh, no. Nudist? <laughs> and they were all oh, nudie festivals. <laughs> yep. And, hey, I'll give it to them, though. That. I'll give it to them. Though. Those guys have a blast. Uh, they're, they they do. look cold, but they are having fun. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I played, a, I played a handful of them. And uh, I did meet some friends, and it's kind of always odd to see them in public. Cause right? it's kind of like, I know your secret, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I did, the, I did a few of those and, um, and that's kind of, you're kind of in for seeing something odd. I sell them. Right. I, I have this friend who I met there. His name is Rao 
and he is just an anomaly. It had rained for like six hours, and all this wood was wet. And I saw this guy yell at this wood for about two hours, and it lit. I'd never seen anything like it. He, he yelled with his this mind? fire with his mind, man. <laughs> yelled this fire into existence. I, You've got to be kidding. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it. It was it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But um, that that's kind of I guess what you get in store for if you go play at nature. Yeah, yeah, this is true. <laughs> that's funny. I, I I still I know you saw it, but I'm still thinking somebody had to have dropped the flame somewhere. <laughs> well, and he looks like, like he is comically like Tarzan. Like he is just oh my shredded, God. beautiful, like curly hair. Like if anybody could do it, it's definitely him. <laughs> That's so funny. So, okay. So what's coming up in this next week I'm dropping this on Friday. Well, Thursday at midnight, Friday. Um, what, can we expect from you this next week? Are there any shows people need to come look out for? What's there happening? There are. There are okay. some shows people need to look out for. Um, so for March, actually, it looks like I'm I'm taking a couple days off. Not going to do okay. any shows next weekend. Um, okay. And that is also partly because our next show is a very big one. Uh, April 1st at Matthews Brewing Company in Lake Worth. I'll be playing at 561 Festival. Okay. Uh, the second because they did it last year. Uh, I got to play last year acoustic, and I'm really excited to bring the full band back this year. Nice. Um, it's going to be 20 and bands. And that's April 2nd? April 1st. April 1st, okay. April 1st, uh, and that'll be 20 bands. It's $10. Um, you can get your tickets online, and that'll, they also come with, like, a, a T-shirt that has the whole lineup oh, on it. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's, and that's uh, being put on by the 561 Music Podcast, mm-hmm. the guys from the Killbillies. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then directly after that, we are going on tour with Billy Doom, Billy Doom and, um, the shake. We're starting off home base propaganda, April 7th. Um, so that'll be the following week. And, uh, after that, we're doing a big old circle of Florida. We're going to be in Cape Coral, uh, Sanford, Jacksonville, Daytona, um, Pompano. And yeah, so that's April starting to look really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also – I've been running a monthly songwriter's night, and that's been at Northwood Art in, in West Palm Beach. Um, I don't have a date for the next one yet, but it's been on Thursday nights. And, Is that uh, like an had, open mic or – So I'm, I'm getting uh, songwriters from the area to come and okay. actually play like a 30-minute set of their original stuff. Awesome. Um, but I'm always looking for new songwriters, so if there's any watching or if there's any that you know of, send them my way. I will. Um, I'd love to have them on. Uh, and the idea would to eventually do something like the Long Live the Scene cassette tape with some right. of the acoustic songwriters that are around our area. Um, right. So, yeah, so that's pretty much how April's looking. And then May, it's off to the West Coast. That's awesome. And all right, so we talked about your hats. What Do you have any other merch that everybody, and where can we find it? I do. Uh, so, Bandcamp is a good spot to find it online. It's just okay. on delaney.bandcamp.com. Um, or if you're at a show. I sell it at shows. Um, you know, honestly, Bandcamp is is a great tool for musicians, and Bandcamp Friday is big for everybody. Um, and when they do take a percent, it's not giant. It's not like some of these venues that are taking merch cuts. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to grab it on Bandcamp, that's great. Uh, but if you come, you want to pick one up at a show, people can do that as well. Um, we, we try and keep the merch out all night. 
Um, and I think we're probably – I know we're going to start getting more new merch in. Right now we have uh, the sad – it's a sad songs makes me feel good shirt. It has that in my, my logo. Um, got tons of stickers, CDs. Um, I need a sticker. I have a mini fridge over there that I put all the stickers of all the bands that I've had on my podcast. So I need a sticker. I've got so you. I need a I've got to get you. one. I've got you. And um, what else do we have? So um, I don't know what I'm going to do just yet uh, about – so I have the F Florida hats. Okay. Um, and this is this is great for some, some younger bands who, who might be looking in to get hats. If you're going to get okay. hats, so if you want custom hats, sometimes – it's it's going to be hard to find quality ones mm-hmm. for a good price. You're probably going to pay fourteen to fifteen dollars a hat oh, and wow. have to sell okay. it for for twenty to twenty five to make some yeah. sort of profit. So what I did is I <laughs> bought hats and then I bought these. I just bought the patches. Oh. And so I just put the hats together myself, um, and Wait, do, I, do you sew the patches yep. on? Yep. Nice. Yeah, I just sewed them on, and um, and they look great. And yeah, uh, I cut my overhead easily in half. Um, wow! By, by doing that, and so not only does that mean that my profit margin's bigger, but I can sell them for cheaper and still yeah. have a, a good profit Definitely. margin. Definitely. So that, but so that's where it's what like a right great now. Idea. Yeah, and well, so the very first shirts that that I had for merch, um, we would buy white T-shirts, and they have a black T-shirt spray paint, and we used to have a stencil, and it said Dominic Delaney is my best friend, and we, <laughs> we would make them at home, and I st- I think I still have maybe like twenty of them left, but we would do wow. black shirts, uh, white shirts, and. And that was the original merch. So DIY has always kind of been yeah. uh, very important to me. And so that's kind of, you know, you get stuck in these, like, fun situations where, like, I have ten patches left. The hats are made. Right. Um, I can either order more hats or I could even try and do something else with these. I right. can, you know, put them on something else or, or even sell them as the patches, you know. Um, yeah. It's always cool to kind of find, find new avenues to go down. Um, one of the biggest ones, and since I'm – I'm here in my little workstation today. I can show you. Uh, this has been one of my biggest projects lately is I built this. Nice. Uh, yeah, and this was kind of like I've always liked Legos. So okay. I figured this was like a grown-up version of that. Right. It kind of <laughs> was. Um, and we actually – the first show that I used this was uh, St. Patrick's Day, and it worked. So this kind <laughs> of this kind of sparked the idea – since like I had to learn how to solder for all the pickups and mm-hmm. stuff, um, now the idea has happened that I'm going to make an F Florida distortion pedal. Oh uh, my gosh, that's cool! And so we've on my Facebook, uh, I put up like a few different graphics that I had made and and had mm-hmm. people vote on their favorite. And it's kind of like this black, like black with like the teal and pink, like Miami Vice style. Okay. Um. Yeah. And so I have that coming soon at least to, to, cool. to build the prototype and then and yeah then hopefully i'll start getting those out I, I always thought that would be cool too like you know if you go see a band um and if you like the way my guitar sounds you can buy the pedal that i'm using that i made from my merch table so cool god you're like these things that you're thinking i've never heard people think like that that's so awesome 
Yeah. Like, I think I wouldn't I think have ever. I think a lot of it is is unfortunately out of necessity um, these days. Yeah. With, you know, um, my the first album that I put out had 150,000 streams. Um, For Life right now has around 90,000. Um, and that really doesn't translate into any sort of income. So, no, it doesn't. So that's where, you know, the people that buy the physical CDs to show their support, you know, even if you don't use it, I really appreciate it because that's right. how you're directly supporting artists. And yeah. So that's kind of always that, – that little back and forth has kind of continuously sparked, well, how can I make – quality merch you know right I, I don't have this this unlimited budget where i can give people you know the trendy thing of the week um, yeah. i need to make something that that is true to me and relates to the people that i want to target as far as like a market size so yeah i think like the distortion pedal like the distortion pedal to me is is something that if I went and saw a band that I really liked and they sold their, their distortion pedal, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, that's so you know? like, that's, that's such a great idea. Yeah. I so it's, that. it's really just trying to find all those avenues of, of, you know, really just residual income. Residual yeah. income is the dream. Um, just pay so that I can make money to continue to, to grow the show. Exactly. Um, one of the guys who gave me the idea for making the pedal is um when we recorded for life we i had just gotten this pedal and it's by a guy uh his company is called fuzz imp and i don't know if you're a, fr- a fan of the office or not but yeah um so this is my distortion pedal oh my god how cool um, is that and that like i saw awesome. this i saw it and like he's like yeah i hand build them and all this stuff and i it, i just didn't understand it was another thing where i was like you can do that um <laughs> And that's where he's like, yeah, he's like, I just get the, the graphic made and slap it on the thing I build and, and I sell them. And I was like, that's amazing. So, uh, but yeah, it's also a great distortion pedal that I have tweaked a little bit. So the one that I'm building is very similar to that one, but okay. I changed, like I had to learn about like resistors and capacitors uh-huh. and all this crazy stuff. I never thought I'd be messing with. I didn't go to college. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, like building guitars and stuff, that's another thing I'm going to continue to do. Um, I'm starting to grow my own YouTube channel a little more. I didn't really care too much for it, um, in the past. So I'm starting to get up more tour diaries. I'm going to do some videos with the guitar build and the pedal build as well and start trying that's to, cool. trying to monetize that. That is so neat. I love that. Um, I just wouldn't even know where to start to build a guitar though. There's a couple of guys I've had on here that I've built guitars and I've watched, they've like put it on their Instagram page, like steps mm-hmm. and stuff. It's so amazing. And I'm like, I can't yeah. even believe it actually makes that sound like, cause then they'll play it after they're finally finished. And I'm like, yep. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. It, cause it's, I didn't go to college either. <laughs> you're right. It's, it's, it was really cool. Um, it was definitely something that, uh, you have to, you have to be able to walk away from. And, and that, that was an issue I was starting to have because I'd finished putting everything together and I'd plug it in and it wouldn't work. And uh. the problem with that is now, like, if you've got strings, the neck, the pick guard, if you've got everything on it and it doesn't work, now you got to take everything back off. Oh no. Oh, part. That's, and then I'd stop. it was, it was, I had, I did it twice where I had to do it like that. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to wire everything, and then before even putting strings on it, I'm going to plug it in and just, like, poke it and see if it works. Um, and then eventually, like, I also had to learn about – there's a tool that's called a, a multimeter, 
and it okay. checks like the connection and like the grounding of everything in there. Um, so I had to get that, learn how to use that, as well as the soldering gun, so that I could like melt all the. It was it was a lot to learn, um, but it was yeah. a lot of fun, and and it ended up working. So. And you got to use the guitar, and it worked. I got to use it. Yep. <laughs> that's and awesome. It's purple. It's my favorite color. Oh, okay, that's nice. Yeah. So okay, so um, before we go, where can they everybody find you? Like your Instagram, Facebook. Uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm pretty much Dominic Delaney everywhere. Um, Instagram, I'm at Dominic Delaney. Facebook, it might be Dominic Delaney Music, uh, like if you type in a link. But if you just search Dominic Delaney, you'll find me. Right. Um, TikTok, I'm starting to kind of figure out, and that's Dominic Delaney <laughs> Music. Um, not great at it, not neither consistent <laughs> at all, but I'm there. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> YouTube is Dominic Delaney, and then Twitter uh, is Delaney Dominic, because I guess when I was 10, I made Dominic Delaney and forgot the password, so... <laughs> So now I'm Delaney Dominic on oh, Twitter. God. Uh, That's so funny. Yeah, and then and my mom's then, got like 75 Facebook pages because she can't remember her her password for any of them. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm definitely one of those people too. Like now I have like I, I I'm so old I have to like in my journal I write down my passwords because yep, I can't remember I anymore. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm pretty much everywhere uh, as far as music on Spotify. It's just Dominic Delaney. It's on Amazon Music, Apple Music. Uh, Really, all of it, like Deezer, Title, Title apparently is the best one for supporting artists. I didn't okay. know that. Um, okay. I guess they pay out the most, but really, I, I, I don't. I haven't seen anything. The problem that's kind of one of the things I could go into like um, releasing the last album independently. I could go to DistroKid and I could see where it's performing mm-hmm. well. Um, but like, even they say like this is excruciating detail. Like you, there's some things like you can you can look at this, but you really don't need to. Right. And so right. I don't. But maybe I should. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay. So I, I mean, I really, I really enjoy talking to you. You're very interesting. I mean, Thank I you. wish that we could just sit. We'll have to. Um, I'll have to come out to one of your shows, and then we'll yeah. sit and chat again. I would love to see you play live on your built guitar. And um, so before we go, though, is there anything that you would want to say to your fans, anybody, any bands that are watching, any advice? Uh, Don't wait for a green light. Just go. Um, If you want to tour, book one. If you want to play out, book those shows. Um, And if you don't know where to start with that, start at dodiy.org and pick a city. And that's pretty much it. You can just pick a city, find a promoter, and, and put something together. Oh, good advice. That's really good advice because I was going to ask you, like, what do you do when you do that? So that's good advice. Um, Okay, and what do you have to say to your fans? Thank you. Uh, Thank you for listening to my music. Thank you for for finding uh, a part of your life in in songs that I've written about my life. And I think that gives me a little bit of hope that we can all find common ground in different areas of our existence. Yeah, that's nice. I love that. Okay. All right. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and looking at you through my screen here. <laughs> um, but I'm glad we got it put together. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to make it out to a show of yours. And, um, yeah, like, come out to one of my events. I'm going to come definitely. to yours. And, um, yeah, good. no, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you and so much for you, having you, me. I'm sure you're inspiring many people through your music, your sobriety, everything. So wow. it's a big thing. So, but Thank it's a you pleasure so much. talking to you. I'm so happy to have met you. Thank you.
Thanks, Dominic. Yeah, I could walk.